If you have your Bibles with you this morning, which I truly hope you do, I want you to go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 27. I want to talk to you this morning about an earthquake. Not just any earthquake, but an earthquake that took, that took place on Good Friday morning. And this was, a, this was not something that happened in that part of the country ever. And it takes place at this time. You know, I want to talk to you and share with you this morning as we're entering into Holy Week, as we're entering into a time where we have an opportunity to share with people what Easter truly is about. Our resurrected Savior, amen? Our, our opportunity to share with the world that Jesus died for our sins. And next Sunday morning, our, we have an Easter message, but also next Sunday morning, we're going to have communion. Uh, I realized it's the first time in eight years that Easter has fallen on a Sunday. So the first Sunday of the month, so we can have communion and an Easter message. I think it'd be awesome. What a better time to have communion with the Lord on the day that we're remembering the resurrection. Amen? I think it's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, if you're in chapter 27, go down to verse 27. 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus unto the common hall and gathered unto them the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed a knee before him and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat upon him. And they took the reed and they smote him on his head. Now, wait a minute, just a second. Now, they just said that they had made a crown of thorns and they had placed them on his head. Now they take this reed, this staff which they have made, and now they hit him on the head with it. So what do you think it does with those crown of thorns? It pushes it into his head. Now, we're talking about a very painful path to the cross. A very painful way of of going, you know, and let's just continue on here. And after that, they mocked him and they took the robe off of him and they put on his own remnant on him. And they came out and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. And him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were there and they came unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with guile. When he tasted it, he would not drink. Now, if you think about that for a minute, you think about this vinegar mixed with this guile. This guile was a green substance that was a putrid, like, um, like putrid animal parts mixed in a bucket with vinegar. And that's what this was. And they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that they may be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them upon my vesture, and did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head an accusation written, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the other, left. 
and they passed by vile him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou destroyest the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders, and they said, Save others, and himself he cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Now, again, another stopping point. That's not true. They would not have believed him. Think of the hundreds of miracles that they had witnessed with their own eyes up before this point. Remember, the many times that they, that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, and they got upset about it, but he was healed. Look at the, the, the many people, the woman with the issue of blood, the child, and all these places where these Pharisees and these Sadducees were at all these times. They were in all these events somewhere along the way, and they saw the many miracles performed. But did they believe? No. But they expect him to come down off the cross. Although, if he comes off the cross, then they'll believe. Why didn't Jesus come off the cross? Because he knew, one, they wouldn't believe. And two, there was a second purpose for him going to the cross. A purpose that they couldn't understand. But praise God, this morning we can. Amen? Amen. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the, cast the same in teeth. Now, from, now the, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sapcini, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them stood there. When they had heard this, they said, This man calleth for Elisha. And straight away one of them ran and took the sponge and filled it with the vinegar to put it on the reed to give it to him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elisha come to save him. Jesus then had cried with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent and twined, means in two, from top to bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. means they were crushed. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the satyrian were, that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Father, this morning, I pray that your words, Father, would bring to life our Savior in our own hearts. Lord, let us see truly where we stand. Lord, let us see, Father God, this morning, the words that were spoken in the Scriptures. Father, let them, Father, become alive and real to us this day. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. So we see here 
the crucifixion story. It all starts out with Christ before that spineless Pilate. Oh, I'm sorry. We're not supposed to call names. Pilate's wife had urged him to have nothing to do with Jesus. But unwilling to do the right thing, what does he do? He does like most other people. Pilate collapses under pressure. There are so many today given into the pressures of the world instead of the word. You know, it's sad. The word, the word speaks life. It speaks to us in ways that, 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 the, un, that, the, that the sinners and those who aren't uh, uh, adhering to the word, they can't understand. But we understand, but yet we still seem to cave to the pressures of the world. The soldiers ministered to Jesus. They placed that crown of thorns on his head and Jesus was taken away to be crucified, which fulfilled the prophecies centuries before, as we see in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We are all like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of all. Not some, but all. You see, God, this, 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 this whole crucifixion, everything that takes place with Jesus, all of this was a part of God's plan. And I think of some of the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was not questioning God. He was quoting the first line of Psalms 22. A deep expression of the anguish he felt when he took on the sins of the world, causing him to be separated from his father. God had to turn his head. Think of that just for a moment. Think about your life. Think about the things that you've done and maybe how you've disappointed some and they, they, they've turned their head. They're like, I can't believe this. You see, people begin to build us up instead of building up God. How many know men just fall? They say that, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Sometimes the more famous they are, the harder they fall. The forsaken Savior pays a price for our sin. Nature responds to the hour of the age. Darkness descends upon the earth and Christ's last cries from the cross. You see, the thing that Jesus dreaded came upon him. Remember when he was in the garden, if this... Let this hour pass from me. Why? Because he knew what was coming. The sins of the world were fixing to be put upon him. But how the earth reacted to the death of Christ. In verse 51. The veil of the temple was torn into two. This would now make a way open for the, all sinners, not some, but all sinners to be forgiven. The earth quaked and shook the entire area, which had not happened before. Rocks were broken up by the death of the rock of the ages. You see, when I think about that veil 
being rent. I think about this veil that, that was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And only the, only the priest could go in there once a year. This thing was 30 feet wide and 30 feet tall and 18 inches thick. It's not like somebody could go in there and just, you know, you just couldn't rip it in two. You couldn't grab a hold of it with two hands. You couldn't even get a pair of scissors to cut it. So they truly knew when this, when, this, when this thing was rent, when this thing was torn, graves were opened. The Old Testament saints were resurrected. I've read this many times, but it never stuck out in my mind that there was a resurrection prior to the resurrection that's yet to come. Isn't that awesome? Think about that for a moment. When Jesus was done, the graves were opened and the Old Testament saints were gone. I, I often wondered what happened. And I've read this so many times. You'd think I would have caught on somewhere along the way. But I never caught on to it. And I thought about that. Wow. The graves were opened and all the Old Testament saints were taken home. And just think about this. All of those who were there at the resurrection, all those who were there at the crucifixion of Christ, and they see these things happen, they saw those graves open up. I don't know, but I put a great deal of fear in me. If I was one of the soldiers, I'd be running. This was the hour of the ages prophesied for centuries. But this morning... I want you to ask yourself some questions. How has the death of Christ affected you? Has his gift of God's love moved your heart to surrender to him? Maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're happy you're watching this message uh, online this morning. Perhaps you're having struggles. Because there are things in your life that you've yet to surrender. You see, a lot of times people don't want to surrender certain things. They're, they're afraid to be, they're, they're embarrassed. I can't tell God that. How embarrassing it would be to tell the Savior that you've done something so terrible. But yet do they know? He already knows. He knows all things. He knows all men's hearts. Church, not just, not just the Christians, just not this body of Christ in here this morning, not those that are meeting in other churches around the world, but he knows all men's hearts, even those who are not saved. How do we know this? Because he took on the sins of the world. Has Calvary's earthquake shaken you from your sins? I believe there are some here this morning, or maybe even perhaps some watching this morning, I think they need to be shaken from their foundation. I think they perhaps need to be reminded where God has brought them from and where God has them now. I think there are a lot of times in our life, we forget what God has brought us from. And we don't look back. I don't know about you, but I don't want to look back. But sometimes we have to be reminded where God has brought us from in order to be able to minister to those who need ministering too. I think sometimes 
life situations aren't pretty. I think some of us have gone through some pretty traumatic things in our lifetime. I know I have. And I've often said, God, why would you let that happen to me? But I have found out through years of ministry that those things I'm able to understand. I'm able to have compassion and be able to minister them to their need because, because I've gone through the same thing. Not that I desire to, but when I was in my sinful ways, that's what happened. Now, I'm not saying that you should go out and say, okay, I'm going to leave the Lord for a few months so I can go through some bad situations so I can get resaved and then I can go help minister to people. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying that some situations that you've gone through in your lifetime, God is using those things now in your life to minister to people who need help. Are you now ready to commit your life to the one who died for you? I know most of you in this room are already committed. You're already on board. But this is only a question that you can answer. I know you're hearing these words this morning and you're saying, I've already committed. I'm committed now. Are you ready for a new life? One filled with promise, hope, joy, but most of all, life. God has promised you a life full of adventure when you came to the cross. That meant trials and tribulations. That meant hard times and rocky roads. Some of you are like, well, wait a minute, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> But how many know that Christians suffer the most? Yep. You know right now in California, there's a, a move out there to ban the Bible? Yep. Yep. In California, you would know it. You see, church, the things that I thought in my mind I would never ever hear or dream of in the land of the free, in the United States of America. The land that God had given to us, that we would have religious freedom. And here we are doing everything we can to get them out of it. And then we continually say, God bless America. How? How? Pretty soon, churches are not going to allow, be allowed to meet. I, I don't speak that prophetically, but it's almost like seeing the handwriting on the wall. But how do you respond to God's gift of his love? I tell you this morning, you can choose not to respond and say to yourself, I still have time. But then I ask the question, do you? It's recorded in Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers have served that were the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in which the land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Church, we have to choose whom we're going to serve. The people had to decide whether they would obey the Lord who had proven his trustworthiness or obey the local gods which only had made idols. This is what, this is what Isaiah was dealing with. and This is what Joshua was dealing with in his day. You see, when we take a definite stand for Jesus Christ, we're taking a definite stand for the message that he has given us centuries ago, long time ago, and, and, and we stand upon these words. I see how the men in charge responded to these miracles. They were moved and, and convinced by the earthquake. The shaking of the ground made them afraid. They had never been through and had never seen such a traumatic thing of the earth responding to the death of Christ. One man says, truly, this was the Son of God. Church, I stand before you this morning and I tell you that what that man spoke was wrong. Because I stand before you this morning and I say, truly, he is the Son of God. You see, they were using it in past tense because they thought he died. But see, we know he's alive. Amen. And so we can say he is the Son of God. For he is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. Praise the Lord. We have an intercessor. Church, we need an intercessor. Our lives aren't perfect. And if you think it is, watch for lightning strikes. You see, I believe we have to be convinced of this unshakable truth. This unshakable truth must be something that is set within us. It's something that we have to believe wholeheartedly in. We have to take in. And we have to understand that the Word of God is the unshakable truth of the Word. And our lives must reflect that. When people see us, they must know who we are. People can know who you are and not even speak to you. Because there is a, a, this, 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 how do you say, aura about you, maybe. That people say, wow, that person has great peace. That person has a, a great spirit about them. How many of you get up in the morning and you got a nice smiley face on? Uh-oh. How many get up in the morning and say, oh, it's here again. The sun decided to come out. Jesus, he didn't come get me. Oh, these aching bones. Oh, you have no idea. How many of you get up in the morning and say, ah, the sun's up. Jesus has given me another day. This is awesome. I get to go out and, and share the love of Christ with everybody. No, come on, be honest. None of, of y'all have done that this morning. How many got up this morning and said, Ooh, I'm going to church. I'm going to hear about Jesus. I could have slept a whole nother hour. Well, you need an extra hour of sleep. You go home after church and take a nap. 
I'll go have a little bite to eat and I'll go home and take my siesta. Let the roof tiles rumble up there, little, little clatters from my snoring. You see, this is a time to surrender your life to Christ. We don't delay in giving our lives to Christ. You know people who need Jesus. Peace awaits your act of faith in the Savior. You see, we, we have a, a peace that overcomes us when we, when we start recognizing who Jesus is. You know, when we begin to think about Good Friday, we begin to think about the palm fronds and the cloaks that were laid down in the city as Jesus was going into the city and, and they were saying, Hail, hail, King of the Jews and, and, and Jesus. And, and they were worshiping him and exalting him only for just a few hours later to be spitting at him and saying, Crucify him. You know what it reminded me of? When I began to read that part and I began to thinking about it, I said, man, it sounds so much like America. We're all happy when somebody starts doing some good things, but as soon as they do one thing wrong, we're out shouting, get them out, get them out. You see, we have to respond to his love to be sure of salvation. You see, the Bible says, to those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think this Good Friday earthquake should bring peace to our hearts. We should remember, because of that earthquake, because of all that that took place on that, on, on, at the crucifixion, all of us have been made whole through the blood of Christ. We now have salvation. We now have Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us every time we do a boo-boo. Aren't you aren't you thankful for that? Doesn't that just, just make, give you goosebumps? Makes my goosebumps have goosebumps. When I think about Jesus interceding for me at the right hand of the Father, thinking about Jesus knows I'm going to make a mistake. Now, he could keep me from that mistake. But people who avoid mistakes don't learn much. But people who recognize their mistakes learn a great deal. So this morning, where are you? When you think about the earthquake and you think about the rocks that were crushed and you think about the great things, that, that, that painful path to the cross that Jesus would take and how the soldiers would mistreat him, Along the way. I don't know if you've ever watched it. But the passion of the Christ to me. Is probably one of the greatest depictions of the cross I've ever seen. I've only watched it once. Because I don't have the heart to watch it twice. I've tried to watch it a second time. And I think it gripped me worse the second time than it did the first time. So I couldn't even watch after a few minutes. To think that my Jesus had his hair plucked out of his face, spat upon, beaten so badly that he was unrecognizable. 
I can't think of a more harsh or a more cruel way to die than that. And to think that Jesus did every one of those steps, took every one of those beatings for you and for me. Church, when I think of that, I can't help but humble myself before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can't help but humble myself knowing that He is truly my King. And no one could ever replace Him. No one could ever take His place. Because He paid a price for me that no one else was willing to pay. To remove my sins from my life. To remind me of who He's created me to be. He's designed all of us, church, to worship Him. Not worshiping ourselves, not worshiping idols, not worshiping other gods, but worshiping only Him. And when I think of that, I can't help but to praise Him. I can't help but to sing so loud in the truck it deafens my own ears because I'm worshiping Him, giving my praise to Him because He gave His life for me. Not just me, church, but the whole world. He gave his life that the whole world might be saved. When you think of that this morning, you think about how incredible that is, that somebody would give his life that the whole world might be saved. But yet we have people going to hell in cartloads. For wide is the road that leadeth to destruction, and that road is full. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and only a few are traveling that road. This morning I'm going to ask you, what road are you traveling? What way are you headed? Maybe you're watching this morning. That question is for you too. Where are you headed this morning? What is your desire this morning? What is your goal this week? Some of you would say, well, to get here next Sunday, I hope. Well, to make it to lunchtime, my wife's got a nice pot roast in the crock pot and got some potatoes and stuff in there. And maybe to get to a restaurant and have a fish sandwich. Or maybe to get home and sleep on your mattress that's nice and comfortable to take a little siesta. But I'm telling you, church, this morning, my goal is to serve my Savior. My goal this week is that I would ask God to bring someone to me that needs to hear the word of God. To lead one person to the Lord. If I don't get anything else accomplished this week, I just want to win one person to the Lord. That's how the kingdom of God grows. One soul at a time. Father, this morning we thank you. Jesus, when we think of that painful path to the cross that you took, so badly beaten and bruised, Father, that you were unrecognizable. But yet, Jesus, you did all of that for us this morning. Father, this morning as we lay out our life
before you. I pray, God, that our hearts would be yielding to you. And Lord Jesus, that you would find us worthy to worship you. Jesus, that you would find our lives pleasing to you. Because you've called us to a great task to go into the highways and the byways and to compel them to come in, to, go, to know who you are. As we think of this holy week, this week in which we remember Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross for our sins, our transgressions, this morning I pray that you, church, would yield yourself 100% to him giving all that you have to Him. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.